Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 181. And this week, it's Daisy's turn to share something. Daisy, what do you have? Well, Terry, I have something very exciting to share that has got nothing to do with our usual things. Well, I say that nothing to do with our usual things. How many times do I mention my dogs (laughs) per episode? Usually. (laughs) Certainly very often. But yes, you know very well already, and some other people who are listening will know. But I welcomed in a new member to the household. She is called Lila. She arrived at 3.30 a.m. yesterday. They had to arrive where you were on the route. She came in on transport all the way up. Very handy gadget. It was on WhatsApp. I could follow the van in real time um, moving. Amazing how addictive that is. (laughs) It's like kids watching Santa's route and seeing how close, what state he's in or what countries he's in. You knew exactly where this dog was. Yeah. And you know what? Some of these tracking things, there's a time lag, but this one, absolutely in real time. So I could watch on the phone and walked outside literally as he turned in at the end of the road, you know. So I could watch where he was going at all times. He didn't switch it on until he was at the border between Spain and France. So he'd already gone a long way because as far as I know, they started off in southern Spain. So they had to go all the way up through Spain and then all the way up through France and doing drop-offs on the way. So I watched him go, he went up the west coast and then he went he went right up into the tip up in the... in. Brest, which I always think is aptly named, um, the sort of the real northwestern tip up in Brittany, went right up into there to deliver a load of dogs to a rescue, um, came back across, dropped one off um, north of Paris, and then crossed the channel, and I was the first one, and it happened to be at half past three in the morning. So that's when she arrived. Lila, her name is, and she's she's like a mini rocket. <laughs> and she really is small. She's smaller. I knew she was she was a lot smaller, but um she really is tiny. She's about half the size of Rocket. I was telling you before we started. I'm used to them being really nervous, lots of anxiety. I've mentioned this before, the troubles I've had with Rocket. She's the opposite. <laughs> So I did have a chat with Janine, the behaviorist who works with the charity, just to try and make sure I'm on the right track, because it's a whole new set of challenges that I'm not as familiar with. I'm quite used to dealing with these, you know, nervous, highly strong, anxious street dogs. I'm not so used to the ones who come in really confident. And um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a whole different set of challenges and it's more managing. Well, I suppose it's always with dogs. It's it's mostly about managing the human behavior, isn't it? But um, so this is the things that I'm really having to watch my own behavior around. So I'm hoping she stays asleep. She's currently asleep. That's the other thing. She's basically still a puppy. She's only 11 months. So yeah, we flip flop between high energy and then zonked out and she's currently zonked out. You will know if she wakes up because she's also very vocal. <laughs> <laughs> and I have seen her on camera and she is adorable. Um, very much looks like a mini me of Rocket. 
and I have seen that she is sleeping. So I, I will keep an eye out in the background there and, and I'll see when she pops her little head up. So she's very sweet. She is very, very sweet, but um, yeah, definitely quite a challenge too. So it's all very exciting. Um, so consequently, I've come up with one of my short episodes, should be quite a short episode. It's one of the newsletters that I always tend to read and I've shared on here before. It's the dreaded drama triangle. <laughs> so it's Donna Zajonk and David Emerald. And they send out a newsletter every week. And I always find something interesting in what they say. And so if you remember, there are the three roles in the DDT and that's victim, persecutor and rescuer. And they talk about their TED, which stands for the empowerment dynamic, where we change these more troublesome roles uh, to something more positive. So this newsletter is entitled The Many Faces of the Persecutor. And they say that all three of the DDT roles, victim, persecutor and rescuer, are reactive, anxiety-driven and problem-focused. And we all inhabit these three roles from time to time. So you can, you know, flip between them. We do this as a strategy to deal with what we have judged we don't like or don't want. And so when we're in the persecutor role, our desire is to feel safe and secure by being competitive and winning the point, uh, by feeling powerful, accomplished and successful, to maximize certainty and be efficient, to exert control over others or the situation to reduce chaos and anxiety, to win the point. Since the world is made up of winners and losers, it's better to win at all costs. So already I'm guessing that people are going to find that some of that familiar in themselves, in others, both probably. And so they say that these desires can show up differently depending on the situation, which they say is why the persecutor is described as having these many faces. Um, but by becoming more familiar with, with these different faces, it's easier to catch yourself when you're doing them and then try and redirect your focus to more constructive ways. And the, the persecutor, the role in TED as opposed to the DDT is the challenger. So they give some examples of these many faces of the persecutor. I found all of these familiar. They're things that I see in others, but they're definitely things that I've done myself. Uh, so the first one is the sergeant and the sergeant micromanages with a my way or the highway type mentality. And so co-workers or family members fear making mistakes and they tend to stop thinking for themselves. And they work a lot in a business environment. Um, so, you know, the impact these different dynamics can have in a business environment can be really costly, quite literally if it's going to affect production and the happiness of, of the people who are working there. But it also applies really easily to social dynamics and families and all these things, which is, you know, why I find it really interesting. So opportunities for innovation or new ideas are limited by the fear that they will run into the sergeant's strong opinion with this right or wrong thinking. 
The next one is the critic. And the critic uses their critical disposition to control the family or work environment. And so others tend to walk on eggshells to avoid setting them off. Control is gained because others spend a lot of time and energy paying attention to their criticism. The silent one. This face uses silence to control and punish by withdrawing and cutting off interaction to control the situation and other people. And this creates a powerlessness in others as they try to figure out how to react to this silent treatment. And I'm guessing maybe uh, some sort of passive aggressive stuff maybe comes under that one. I'm sure you'll be able to enlighten me. Um, the manipulator. They may schmooze and relate to others to win their influence. Their motivation is questionable and they may work hidden agendas. They befriend those who serve their agenda and shun those who don't. And this tends to create suspicion and distrust. And the last one is the cynic. And they use misplaced humor and sarcasm as a way of subtly belittling and staying in control. And this may leave others confused and bewildered about how to react. And they often see through the inauthenticity of their satire. This one in particular very strongly brought to mind a guy I got to know in France who had, you know, when people, it was when I was extremely overweight. And obviously, although everyone knew me like that, but it, it was always something that I was quite sensitive about. And... He used to make jokes about it, but normalize it in, you know, I'm only joking, right? And this is banter and this is how we, you know, how we get along. And you kind of, you kind of feel like you just have to go along with it. You feel like you're being petty if you say, actually, no, that's not funny. I don't find it funny. I find it really hurtful. Some people would be able to say that. I certainly couldn't. And so you then get into this really bad dynamic, this really not pleasant situation so I think this is why these these newsletters always strike a chord with me they always they always hit something that I've experienced or quite often things that I mean I I see myself in in most of these um, you know for my own behavior so whatever the face when people operate from the persecutor role there's a strong desire to control and manage others and uncomfortable situations so you can see quite often, I mean, they, they, you know, they often talk about the place it's coming from is a place of, you know, a place of some anxiety and some stress. And certainly, I know we've, we've spoken about this before. This is, I get highly anxious about not knowing outcomes. And I quite often then end up overly trying to control the situation so I can more accurately predict the outcome because I'm very anxious of something but I don't know how it's going to turn out. So it, you know, it doesn't come from a place of being necessarily, you know, a bad person or anything like that. It comes from a place where, but you end up behaving in these ways that have a negative impact on other people. They, you know, they manage to word it in such a way where they're saying, you know, this is not you being an awful person. This is just these different dynamics going on. And then, of course, they, you know, they give you some tips about how to change that, how to catch it and, and change it. So the positive alternative to the persecutor is the challenger. 
And one way to begin to shift from persecutor to challenger is to ask yourself, what is my intention in this situation? Is it to tear others down and be one up, win my point and take control? That's a persecutor. Or is my intention to be inclusive and help support and improve the situation? Challengers have a strong desire to grow, learn and progress rather than to focus on how to control the situation. Whatever face you may take on when you slip into the persecutor role, clarify your intentions and learn to observe and redirect your focus. Tell yourself the truth, they say, about how you are relating, then pause, reflect on your intention and choose to focus on what there is to learn in the moment for yourself and others. And uh, yeah, hopefully become an empowering change agent. So there you go, quite, quite a short one, but I think lots of things that certainly I could relate to. So I'm guessing there are some, some people out there who can relate to it too. And just as we say with so many things, it starts with awareness. It starts with thinking about it and being aware of when it's happening in yourself, in others you know, whatever. You, you've got to be aware of it happening before you can try and change it, haven't you? Mm-hmm. So just to clarify, I want to make sure I'm following this correctly. Part of the goal then is to, instead of being the persecutor in the dreaded drama triangle, to really move more into becoming, learning how to be a challenger Yeah. in the, the TED. I'm using all new lingo here. I was thinking about as you were describing the different persecuting roles, I've done all of them and a couple of them I hang out in more often than I would like to. (laughs) And I was thinking of the challenge, if I think about moving more into the challenger role instead of the persecutor, it means I'm less in power, which is faulty power anyway, because mostly it's power by distancing or silencing someone else. So that's not really the kind of power I would want to have anyway. But I was thinking that um, for me, what it would entail is switching out of the blaming, finding fault, pushing my agenda, and more working toward how can I connect and collaborate Mm. while advocating for my needs. Because the part that I need to not skip is the advocating for my needs because it will become passive aggressive. It will become maybe just placating or something. But how do I collaborate and express, you know, whatever the dynamic is, whatever the event that's happening isn't really working. And I have some thoughts about how I'd like to see it work differently and maybe ask the other person of what do they need for this dynamic to be working better or this situation to be working better. So for me, it just, in listening to you, it, it kind of wakes up that. Think of the goal. The goal isn't just to be right mm. or to feel comfortable or safe, but the goal is to advocate for your needs while advocating for everyone, kind of figuring out the collective needs rather than one person's agenda. So that's how I'm thinking about that. Does it make sense based on what you've read? 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's it's really going, again, it's a theme that comes up when we're talking often, isn't it? It's some of these behavior traits lead to a sort of a closed way of thinking, a sort of all that, the things closing in on you and where the position you want to be in is much more expansive. It's, you know, getting into things like um, talking about getting curious. You know, these are themes that keep coming up, aren't they? And I'm, I'm thinking of things like when you have discussions about you know, hot topics that are going on and the, and the tendency is to get too stuck in the moment talking about your opinions about something and getting into um, a combat with that, getting combative about that. And often when it's political or whatever and making judgments about the other person and you just get, you get stuck, everything closes in. Whereas if you start approaching it slightly differently if you start being a bit more expansive and saying okay well yeah this is my opinion about the situation and I've heard your opinion about the situation and we could go backwards and forwards with that forever and actually not get anywhere other than probably reinforce our own opinions but let's start asking some questions so okay so you think this and I think that but let's ask some questions and what would the so what is the solution what should we do and every time you do that and you start looking forward you start thinking expansively and you start and it sort of gets you out of a block it feels like when they talk about these different triangles one is blocked in you're locked in that triangle and you bounce around and you you bounce between roles in yourself and also in the dynamic with others, you're locked in this triangle bouncing around. Whereas the empowerment dynamic, although it, it has it's still this triangular shape with how these roles interconnect, it feels much more outward looking. Mm -hmm. But I think the challenge is, pun slightly intended there, is turning one into the other. Mm -hmm. Like I said at the beginning, it often comes from a place of anxiety trying to control, doesn't it? So it's how do you, yeah, is, is breaking that. And like you were saying, a lot of that is about talking to other people and thinking about ways to collaborate. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, maybe as I was listening, I was very much self-focused as I was hearing it, trying to examine this within myself. But that recognition that when I'm feeling somehow that my needs aren't met or aren't seen or whatever, I get defensive, I might come on more bullish and push for what I want in a blaming way or a way that just makes the other person feel like it's coming out of nowhere versus just owning it right up front. This isn't actually working and I'm curious if we can find a better way to do this. Here's what I'm struggling with. So me giving voice to my needs and why this relationship or task that we're doing or whatever it is isn't going well or how I think it could go better but also open again for the collaboration of what do you need and how can you imagine us doing this differently so that we then can come up with a solution because the reality is when I go in in this persecution role I'm not really looking for a solution except for them to do what I want them to mm, do. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what they're saying, isn't it? So you've got to step back, pause, 
and finding out what that intention is. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about how often these things become like a self-fulfilling prophecy that you get into this dynamic, you know, like that, the micromanaging one. I've been there where, where you're frustrated with somebody not doing how you want it to do and how you think is the best way to do it to get the end result. And so you like, oh, I'll just I'll do it myself. But then it ends up being that you end up being the one who's always doing it because, you know, and you get frustrated with that. But if you stop and think about the impact the way you're behaving has on other people, that's where I think they're quite good in saying, well, this is what the sergeant does, but this is the effect the sergeant has. Mm -hmm. And so it's just this cycle where people end up not wanting to do it because it won't be right. (laughs) So then you end up having to do it all the time and then you're complaining about that. So, yeah. It's just, it's trying to be more aware, isn't it, of the result of mm-hmm. your behavior on others. And like you were saying, if you actually have a conversation and ask people where they're coming from and build some understanding and then some tolerance and some collaboration. I know this is oversimplifying this, but you just kind of highlighted something that it's almost always about an actual dialogue and a dialogue where each side is trying to understand the other and the overall task or goal as well. So there's kind of the individual needs and and goals and the overall mutual goal. I sometimes think that's the conversation I'm having, but really all I'm doing is ramrodding Mm -hmm. my uh, judgment or my criticism. I'm just kind of going through some of the words that you used versus actually engaging in that conversation that says, hey, we have something we want to solve here. I have needs. I have, you know, invested in this dynamic. You have needs. Let's figure those out together. It's more vulnerable. Yeah. There's some, like you said, there's some safety in me just coming in like a bulldozer and saying, well, this isn't working and this is why. And, you know, finger pointing but I don't like the way that that encourages the other person to react to me. You know, like you said, just trying to walk on eggshells just to keep me from going off or something. Um, So I think this is a really important encouragement for me as we're talking about it to really work on that challenger role. Yeah, it's always what I find when I read their newsletters and reading it, I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> I do that. <laughs> and then they sort of say, and this is the effect that has. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Be more aware of that and uh, try and change it a little bit next time. <laughs> Which is kind of funny when you think about it. It's like, hmm, I've been doing this for at least the last 45 years and I get so frustrated every time it doesn't work. And then I can really listen to this conversation and think, well, no wonder it doesn't work. And no wonder you're frustrated, Terry. You've got to work on a different approach. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm chuckling because my kerosene or paraffin or whatever you call the stuff, stove that I've got going because I do not have radiators yet and it's getting very cold. Keeps making gurgling noises in the background. So if you hear some Uh. weird gurgling noises, it's not my stomach, it's my kerosene (laughs) stove. (laughs) And I'm amazed that Lila is still asleep. She hasn't woken up. (laughs) 
And on my side, I'm chuckling because every now and then there's this rattling noise, which is not me wearing bracelets or something. It is Miss Gracie just got up from a little nap and shook her harness and made all a whole bunch of clinking noises. So it's so funny because I, I wonder how many people recognize that sound. It's a very typical, yeah, shaking, mm-hmm. shaking of the dog and hearing the, the collars go or the harness go. It's a it's a sound that I immediately recognize. But I wonder how many people, what is that strange noise? You, you have to be a, a dog person to be able to identify it straight away. And I think you start to learn and recognize just like people's footsteps, people's breathing, anything. I can tell your dog's shake and what that sounds like. I can detect Megan's dog's shake in TFM. (laughs) And yet, there we just had it here. (laughs) And that's crazy. My dogs have a different sound based on what kind of collar they wear and how loudly they shake. If Loki were in here, it's a very loud clanging noise. Gracie's is a little more little plastic noise. So yeah, I can I can pretty much now detect which dog that noise is coming from. Yes, I have to say that I didn't spot that noise, did I? With with Puff, one of Megan's greyhounds. I did think that was her. I thought she had a load of bangles on and was shaking it because that's really what it sounds like. But apparently Puff has a load of sort of a bit like... Um, Oh, what are those charm bracelets mm-hmm. almost? She's got so many things, I think, on her collar that when she has a shake, yes, it sounds like bracelets rattling. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yes, all, all our dog sounds. So there you go. We, we started and we ended up talking about dogs. <laughs> Which is true to form with any time you and I talk. So good for listeners to also be a part of that dynamic. That's right. So until next time, I hope you have a very wonderful week. Take good care, everybody. Bye.